0: You're listening to the Sports Brothers Podcast by Sam and Brian Dostler. Everything sports, all the time. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Brothers Podcast with Brian Dostler. It has been a long, long, long time since I've done a a radio show or a podcast on... That type of a broadcasting uh, form as Sam, he will not be on the podcast today as he is working right now and uh, is doing other things today. So I will really kind of start the show uh, for the first show of the 2016 Summer Edition as uh, with myself being at School Eastern Connecticut, Sam back at home. It can be difficult to do these shows uh, when we're not in the same uh, on the same zip code, if you will, Um but we're going to, so obviously the summer is the meat of our season when we get most of our shows rolled out for you on the Nico Empire website. Um, but I'm going to start the first one here, and uh, Sam should be joining in the next podcast or two. Uh, we'll have one today here on June 9th, 2016. It's a Thursday. Next one will most likely be on Monday or Tuesday of next week, um, probably Tuesday at this point. Um, as it's it's been a while since, again, I've talked to to you. I uh, appreciate the listen. For everyone that's listening here on the Nico Empire, the Sports Brothers podcast, where it's everything sports all the time, uh, feel free to subscribe to the Sports Brothers and also to subscribe to the Nico Show, the Think Tank, and Why Is This a Thing? Those are three shows that are hosted by Nico and in, in, in various ways. Personally, my favorite one is the Think Tank with Nico, Alex Lawson, and Mike Cosentini. Uh, they do a fantastic job with that show. They've only had two episodes, but uh, from what Nico has told me, that uh, the response rate has been pretty good with that. Um, hey, respond to my, to our show. Uh, feel free to add Sam and I on Twitter. I'm at B underscore Dostaler 5. That is D-O-S-T-A-L-E-R. And then Sam is at Sam dosty 5. Um, because we pretty much tweet nothing but sports. Uh, you'll get a lot of amateur golf stuff from what Sam tweets because he works for them in that website. He's a manager, editor, writer for them. Um, but the Think Tank, they, again, they came up with their second episode just a few days ago, and it, it's it's like a Seinfeld podcast, which I really enjoy. For those of you that know me, I really enjoy Seinfeld. Uh, and the podcast is kind of surrounded, and it's it talks about real-life situations that people get into. Um, you know, it's not like sports where you can talk from doing out sports. Uh, for instance, their last episode was how do you deal with an awkward party? You know, and it depends who's the host of that party, your friends, how long do you stay, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, what's your obligation as a friend and whatnot? So it's pretty interesting because, again, you who can't relate to a, a party, an awkward party that they've been to, um. So And, and, you know, they they come up with suggestions. If you have a suggestion, you know, feel free to contact Nico, Alex, or Mike, and I'm sure they would love to hear uh, your suggestion for what they should do for a show. Um, For today's show, I'll be talking about game through the NBA Finals, uh, Major League Update with the Red Sox, Mets, and Yankees, and then I'll give my take on the Yodana Ventura Mini Machado Brawl. Uh, But first, uh, another reason why we haven't, or the two reasons why we haven't done a show since June 9th is because, well, I've been out of school for almost a month now, which when I think about it, it's like, wow, a month has gone by pretty fast. Um, finals wrapped up, uh, but after the finals were over, Eastern Connecticut was fortunate enough to host the 2016 New England Re- Regional Baseball Tournament. So uh, myself, along with... Uh, My coworkers, Patrick Murtha, Lupe Marquez, uh, Spencer John, uh, Andrew Rubash, and all of us at ATV Sports were able to broadcast that on stretch internet and on the internet. So we broadcasted 14 baseball games, all nine innings, Uh, not one to extras. We broadcasted 14 baseball games in four days. And, uh, yeah, that's a lot of innings. That's a lot of baseball. And I did play-by-play for 11 of those 14 games. And let me tell you, um, baseball is something that really does not bore me at all. It's something that, uh, I never get tired of. I mean, for instance, after those games, I went home and watched baseball. Um, what, <laughs> on baseball tonight, not a live game. Cause we got back like at midnight, um, But there was a couple times, there was one game in particular where I, it was my third game of the day, and I, and in my head, I had like another one to go, and I just, I was done. So luckily, I was able to uh, have someone else do play by play for that one. But uh, it was certainly a fun experience. I would not uh, have it any other way. It was certainly a grind, but it was a lot of fun to to call all those games. And uh, the winner, Keystone College, they advanced to the College World Series, obviously, and they came in second place. They were the runner up. So uh, we were able not only to, obviously, Bring a team all the way to New England Regional um, or to the College World Series, but they made it all the way to the Championship game there, so that's pretty cool. Um, And then the family vacation. Uh, We just came back from Arizona. Sam and I and our two parents, we went to Sedona, Arizona, and the Grand Canyon. And later on, folks, I'll tell you why uh, the Grand Canyon is not a place I've necessarily rushed to go back to. Um, So again, I'll get to that later on during a reset. Uh, but I talked about the NBA Finals and the headliner today. Really more than the Cavaliers beating the beating the Warriors in Game Three is that the Cavaliers don't need Kevin Love. They don't need uh, K Love on their team. They should get rid of him. Uh, this was a game where the Cavaliers won 120 to 90 over the Warriors. They beat by 30 points, and I think it's very foolish for those fans to say that they don't need Kevin Love. You know, in our society, we're we're so we're so, we have such a short memory. You know, it's like, oh, last, you know, obviously the, the Cavaliers, they lost the first two games, and in game two, Kevin Love didn't play all that well. He only scored uh, five points on two of seven shootings, so he didn't play well, um, and he gets his concussion. He doesn't play, and, and the and the and the Cavaliers win by 30. Oh, oh, it's because Kevin Love was on the floor, right? No, it's not. First of all, let's talk about the other team. Draymond Green, after... Coming off a game where he scored 28 points, he scored 6. Clay Thompson went 1 for 7 with 10 points. And Steph Curry didn't do anything spectacular. He scored 19 points, which obviously is, is quite a bit. Uh, but he was only 3 three of 9 from 3. Again, Draymond Green scored 6 points in this game. Okay, And what's also interesting is coming into game number 3, J.R. Smith, who scored 20 points on 5 three-pointers in this game, was just two for seven from behind the arc in the first two games. So, again, he scored 20 points. Tristian Thompson, now here is some some wiggle room. You can say, okay, Thompson, a big man. Kevin Love, a, a big man. Uh, with no love, it really opened the floor for Thompson. He had double-double, 14 points and 13 rebounds. But Kyrie Irving, in game number two, he scored 10 points. 10 points in the entire game. He scored 16 in the first quarter in last night's game three. He went on to score 30 points in the game. And LeBron James and LeBron James thinks he had 32 points in this one. But the notion that because Kevin Love was not on the floor was the reason why they won this game. Look, folks, if you actually believe that Kevin Love is a 30-point swing where when he's on the floor that the Cavaliers are plus 30, you're insane. You're, you're absolutely insane. I mean, Kevin Kevin Love is obviously a valuable piece to this Cavaliers team, and he's their number three in their big three and there's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, let me let me throw some numbers at you. The Cavaliers are 13-4 overall this postseason, okay, 13-4. When Love scores less than 10 points in a game, they are 1-2, and, two. and I, I actually included uh, yesterday's game, which is their only win. So the other two times we actually played, uh, they were 0-2, uh, but that's just two games. When Love scores 10-plus points, the Cavs are 12-2. Furthermore, when Lebr- when LeBron, Kyrie, and Love all score in double figures, the team is 12 and two this postseason. Go figure when your stars score points, when they get their their, their numbers, you're gonna win ball games. Shocker. Wow, oh my God. And love is hit in big time shots in this postseason. I mean you go back to the game number one, the Eastern Conference, uh, first round, he scored 28 points against the Pistons. He had two big three-pointers late in the fourth quarter to help them to a 106-101 victory. Game four of the, semi, of the semifinals versus the Atlanta Hawks. This was on the road. He had eight three-pointers. And in this postseason, he has six games of three plus three-pointers in a game. Now, again, if <laughs> I'm going to go back. If you actually think that Kevin Love is... The Cavaliers are plus 30 when he's not on the floor. You're absolutely crazy. I think the Cavaliers would have won this game with Kevin Love on the floor. Like I don't think that's really going out on, on a limb there. I really don't. Um, because clearly, going into this game, who needs it more? I mean, anyone with some love intelligence could tell you that the Cavaliers need this game more. They're down 0-2, and you don't want to face an 0-3 hole versus the Warriors or really any team in any postseason series because – it's pretty much impossible to come back from. So who came out with more energy? Who had the home crowd in this in this game? Cleveland Cavaliers. Also another point to point out. The Golden State Warriors are now 0-4 in game threes in the postseason. Oh, guess what? All those game threes have been the first game of the series on the road. Wow. Rockets in, in the first round lost game three. Trailblazers, they lost game number three. OKC, they lost game number three. And now they lost uh, in game three to the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA Finals. The Cavs are winning this game with Kevin Love. I mean, (laughs) again, just the notion that they are 30 points better with Kevin Love off the floor is absolutely insane. And again, I think a lot has to do with the the shooting ability. the, the, The Warriors weren't the same. It's so much easier to shoot the ball and to play at home. I mean, that's for anybody. Again, Draymond Green, 20 points last game, six points in in game number three. It doesn't add up. It it doesn't add up. Moving on to to LeBron James, and this is obviously every every NBA Finals is big for him, but I think, especially with Kobe Bryant now not playing uh, in the league anymore, retiring after 20 seasons, uh, you look at LeBron as really, obviously every player, uh, needs needs rings to solidify their legacy. But I, I truly believe that LeBron, I, I think anyone can agree, that he's the most uh, – he, he's he's the player that needs it the most in terms of legacy. Like if you really want to solidify because because when you think LeBron James, you compare him to somebody you think Michael Jordan, right? So you can compare LeBron's legacy to like an NFL quarterback because I believe the an NFL quarterback is the most criticized position – in all of sports. All of sports. And you can make an argument LeBron James is the most criticized player in all sports. And in, As an individual, he is the most criticized player in sports. As a position, the NFL quarterback is the most criticized position in all of sports. So I think there's a lot of similarities between these two things. You look at guys like Tony Romo and Phillip Rivers, why are they not considered elite? Because they don't have a ring. Why is Tom Brady considered one of the best quarterbacks of all time? Because he has four rings. Why is Eli Manning uh, an elite quarterback? Because he has two rings. Why is Big Ben elite? Because he has two rings. You know, guys like Joe Flacco and Russell Wilson, they have one. I've, and and Wilson looks like he could be getting a couple more. This is, this is when you talk about how great these players are. You know, because we we know that LeBron James is great. I mean there's there's no doubt about it, right? I mean, he's obviously a fantastic player. Many say that he's the best player in the game. But when you talk about all time, it's all about how many rings you have. And right now he's only two and four in NBA Finals. He goes two and five. Yikes. And really and and one of those wins was severely helped or was saved really by a Ray Allen three-pointer in the corner. Now, I'm not knocking that NBA championship by any means, but it took one heck of a player from a role player to help him get that second, second win. But, again, most criticized player in all of sports, probably, certainly in my lifetime, overall. I mean, LeBron James, I think you can make a serious argument for that. And the NFL quarterback is the most criticized position in all of sports. A lot of similarities between those two. Hopefully that game four is actually close. I mean, God, have these, overall these playoffs have been terrible. I mean, there there has been 24 games that have been decided by 20 points or more. That's not good. <laughs> like that. That's not good for ratings. You know who's watching that? Um, it's it's tough to watch when there's constantly teams up by twenty. I mean, the games in in Golden State really weren't all that entertaining. Uh, first quarter they were close, but as a, as the game went on, not so much. Um, and really no different there with Cleveland. And I again. I'll say this one more time. I believe that the Cavaliers are going to win this game with Kevin Love on the floor. To, to say that they're a, a team that's plus 30 better without him, I think is ridiculous. Um, and Game 4, I th- I think Game 4 is going to be close. I do. Uh, I think Golden State will win. I think they're going to shoot better. I mean, look, the Cavs, they shot 52% in this game. The Warriors only shot 42. So it took a – obviously they won by 30, but it took a a, a huge effort from the, from the Cavaliers to – to win this game, um, and it's—I don't think they're going to shoot 52% again. I, I don't. Uh, I know that in the postseason they have been shooting better. Um, they've had some streaks where they were shooting really, really well, but I think that the Warriors were kind of clamped down. And and Steve Kerr—he called out—he he indirectly called out his team after uh, the game yesterday, last night, by repeatedly calling his team soft. And if you're an NBA player, you don't want to be called soft. Trust me, you you do not want to hear that word. Um, so Steve Curry just firing up his team a little bit, and I'm looking forward to game four. And I think this is the most anticipated game outside of game one. I think this is the most anticipated game of the series because now it's like, all right, guys, you've had three blowouts. you got to have a close game sooner or later. Like, you you got to like, you, you gotta have a, a, a close fourth quarter at some point, right? Moving on to Major League Baseball, and in a little bit, talk about the Jordana Ventura manny Machado brawl and why I wouldn't necessarily rush back to the Grand Canyon. Uh, let's start with the Red Sox. They are 34-25. and 25. They're a game and a half out of first place of the Baltimore Orioles, and there's no secret is that they need a starting pitcher. Uh, this has been really the narrative for the last couple seasons now, and you look at some of their starting pitchers and some two disappointments right at the top in Clay Buckles and Joe Kelly. Uh, Kelly is now in AAA in Pawtucket, um, and for good reason. I mean, his last three starts, he gave up five runs, seven and seven runs in each of those starts, um, and this is a pitcher that really has been a disappointment. Uh, hopefully, may- maybe he can turn it around uh, at the end of the season, but... Kelly, who was a centerpiece of a trade that sent that the Red Sox sent John Lackey over to the Cardinals, the Red Sox got Alan Craig and Joe Kelly in return. Um, you know the, the thing about Kelly is is, is yeah he, he has one of the highest fastball velocity uh, by average. You know throws one of the hardest fastballs around ninety six miles an hour, but is he walks so many guys and he strikes out a lot of guys as well. So when you have a lot of that, it brings your pitch count up. Even when he pitches well, he's still throwing 100 pitches in the sixth inning, and that's that's not really that good. Um, with the Cardinals, he pitched 266 innings. He won 17-14 with a 3.25 ERA. With the Boston Red Sox in 218 innings, he has 16 and eight with a five ERA. Again, really just another reason, another to, to showcase you why that a why uh, win loss records most overrated stat in baseball because. Um, 16 and 8 and a 5 ERA does not add up, and really 17 14 uh, and 3.25 ERA does not add up. Really, you should flip flop those, the ERA or the win loss, whatever you want to do. Um, but Joe Kelly's a mentioned, He's in AAA, Pawtucket, and uh, he already won the DL, the Major League DL, uh, with a shoulder injury after he came out of the start on April 19th. And just got warned doing my research here that in Pawtucket, he will miss his next start because of a grade 1 hamstring injury. So obviously, a shoulder and a hamstring have nothing to do with each other. Uh, so that's just more bad news for Joe Kelly. And mention Clay Buchholz. I mean, this is a player that the Red Sox have had have tried to give the reins to as the ace. Uh, the front office took a bit of a risk last off season by not trading for uh, another starting pitcher. Uh, they just they kept with their guy with Clay Buchholz, a guy that's been homegrown. Um, and they gave him the keys to the to, to the car, you know, to, to the to the car, and and to be the ace of the staff, and certainly did not work out well. And uh, he's three and six this season, and one of those wins came came out of relief because uh, now he's in the bullpen. He's been demoted to the bullpen, and uh, one of those other wins came when the offense scored 14 runs, and at one point he was losing four nothing in that game. So it's it's not like he's pitching all that well. Um. Diving a little bit more into it, Rick Porcello, yes, he has a 7 2 record right now. He had a fantastic April. It seemed like he was well on his way to an all star appearance, going 5 0 with a 2.76 ERA. But he hasn't been the same since. Uh, he's two and two with a four point six five ERA in the month of May, and then in two starts in June, eight runs in twelve innings. I mean, this is again, this is a pitcher that they acquired. I mean, let's they they traded for this guy. I mean, they gave up Yoenis Cespedes, who didn't really want to re-sign with the Red Sox after uh, his contract was over, and obviously the Red Sox needed starting pitching again. The same narrative, uh, but they put up, they they put eighty million dollars into this guy, and that's the most annually by any Red Sox pitcher in the franchise history. And this is a franchise that has had John Lester. They should have given him, you know, $20 million annually too, but that's a whole different podcast from the other day. Uh, Josh Beckett, Pedro Martinez. You know, uh, I don't want to say any guys earlier than that because then big contracts really weren't a thing then. Um, but Porcello, uh, going into – but before David Price, obviously, was given the most annually um, for him. And speaking of Price, uh, he's been pitch- pitching well recently. We, It's well documented his early struggles – uh, you look at his ERA, it's 4.63, and you might cringe at that, but if you really look at his, what he's done his last six starts, is he hasn't allowed more than three runs in his last six starts since May 7th. And He deserved, he did deserve to get a win last night. He got the loss against the San Francisco Giants. He gave up two runs, uh, three hits, and two of those hits were solo home runs and a 2-1 loss. That's really more of an, a loss on the offensive side than the pitching. And uh, Stephen Wright, a 31-year-old, he leads the team in ERA with a 2.29 ERA. Really a pleasant surprise. A knuckleballer uh, was simply competing for the for the fifth spot in the rotation, and all of a sudden now he's the second best pitcher in the rotation. Uh, some pitchers that the Red Sox might be going after on the market. Uh, Mike Costantini brought this up, and and obviously Sonny Gray has been on the has been on the Red Sox radar rumors at least for the last couple of years now, but. Let's re let's reconsider Sonny Gray now because you look at his season and he isn't pitching all that well. He's got a 5 7 ERA, a 3 and 5 record. He's been on the DL so he's been injured this season. And if there's ever a time where his asking price is lower than usual, this would be a time to go after him. So you kind of hope that uh, the, a, the the A's keep losing if you're competing teams, or not just the Red Sox, but if you're a team that needs a starting pitcher. Kind of hope the A's really keep losing, and and perhaps Billy Beane will strike a deal with the team to unload Sonny Gray. But this would be a time uh, because his value certainly isn't as high. You're still going to have to give up top prospects. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but not, probably not as many at the moment. Uh, Atlanta Braves, Julio Tehran, another player that's been uh, rumored by many teams to be uh, – to be acquired by because the Braves are terrible. Uh, Teron's been up and down, I I believe. It's it's hit or miss, I think, with him. Um, some other names maybe you haven't heard of that I just kind of came up with. Tampa Bay Race, Critch Archer. Probably not with the Red Sox, maybe with another team from their division because you rarely see blockbuster trades within the with your own division. And uh, perhaps from the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, Hector Santiago, maybe. Uh, the Angels are 26-33. and 33. And they really the last couple of years haven't done all that much in the in the American League West. Um, it really is a shame that uh, they're struggling so much when they have a guy who I think is the best player in the game, Mike Trout. And uh, to be struggling is it certainly hurts hurts his publicity uh, when they're not in first place, from not winning a lot of ball games. Um, but the no, and if, if there's one thing that you've taken away from this podcast through the last two years that Sam and I've done is why is Mike Social still the coach, the manager for the Los Angeles Angels? It's, it's unbelievable. It is that uh, he's, he's still there. Um, moving on to New York Mets, they are 32 and 26, three and a half games out of the NL East behind the Washington Nationals. And same narrative as last season most on June 9th is that they need a bat and uh, this year they don't have as many prospects to give up um, like they did to get, you know, a Cespedes um, last year. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see who they pick up. If they do go after anybody, um, you know, maybe Zach Wheeler could be dealt. That's a, a pitcher that won't be back until I think it was sometime in June, July when he got Tommy John surgery. So um, maybe he could be dealt uh, for for a, for a bat, but, I don't know. I think it's going to be a lot, a lot tougher to for the Mets to acquire another big bat. Uh, they did acquire Kelly Johnson in a trade from the Atlanta Braves. Kelly Johnson coming back to New York after being uh, he went from the Braves to the to the Mets, back to the Braves, and now back to the Mets. I mean, it's just been a train really back and forth between Maine, or excuse me, from from New York to Atlanta for him. And last but not least, the New York Yankees, they are 29-30. and 30. They are six and a half games out of the American League East behind the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, obviously, first base is a big hole for them uh, with Mark Teixeira as he's only hitting, he's hitting below 200 this season. And just the last couple years, is always on the disabled list. And now that we're actually seeing a Andrew Miller, Dylan Patances, and... Odelius uh, Chapman seven eight nine. It's pretty dang scary to see those guys come out of the bullpen uh, for an opponent. But you have to wonder: Are they going to give these guys up? Are they going to give at least one of them up? And I'm not saying you have to do it necessarily now, or even at the July 31st trade deadline. Maybe in the off season. Um, but the other question is: Is what do you get back in return? Do you try to get major league ready? Do you get major league ready players right now, or do you get prospects? So I think uh, that's certainly a storyline that's something to watch going towards the trade deadline if if the Yankees do pull the trigger on a trade. Uh, Let's reset. Uh, Again, later on I'll be talking about Yordano Ventura and the Manny Machado brawl and a couple other things with rivalries. Uh, But for now, this is a Sports Brothers podcast with Brian Dosser, where it's everything sports all the time. Uh, Sam is working today, so he's not able to make it to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the Sports Brothers podcast, along with the Nico Show, the Think Tank, and why is this a thing here on the Nico Empire? As uh, Nico's been rolling out shows, seems like every day. Um, but I told you earlier why I wouldn't necessarily rush back to the Grand Canyon, and it's because I really been spoiled. I've been to the, I've been to Yellowstone National Park, Yosemite National Park, and uh, I just like those better. So if I had to go back between those three, the Grand Canyon would be third in the list. Um, certainly I'm not saying that I'm not saying don't go to the Grand Canyon because you obviously should go if you can. Um, it certainly is a spectacle to see. And Sam put this really in a, a perfect way to explain the Grand Canyon for those of you that have never been there. You know when you go to the beach, you don't feel like you're actually on the beach until your sand, or excuse me your feet are on the sand. You know, like if you see from the distance, you're like, oh, that's the beach. But you don't actually feel like you're at the beach. It's kind of like the Grand Canyon because when you're driving around and through the Grand Canyon, if you look to your left, it's just like dead trees. And there's it's just more dead trees than dead trees. There's there's not much to look at. But when you look over to your right, now there's some trees there as well, and over that is the Grand Canyon. So it's so it's really not until you get to a lookout or you go on, on – a, a hike where you actually feel like you're on the Grand Canyon. Now again, I've been to Yellowstone, I've been to Yosemite, and you drive through the entire place. You always feel like you're in it. You know, you look left, you look right, there's always mountains to be looking at. There's there's different trees, there, there's just different stuff to, to look at. Grand Canyon, you got to be almost like at a lookout just to actually feel like you're in it. And more so on, on the hiking that we did, again, we only did about a mile, mile and a half down because one of the big things, the the signs, the Grand Canyon, the, the rangers, they do a very good job of uh, warning people of, of the canyon and how dangerous it can be because the lower you go in the canyon, the hotter it gets. And uh, one of their big signs is hiking down is optional, hiking back up is mandatory, which obviously seems very simple. Like duh, obviously, but trust me, when you're at that elevation, when when you're in that heat, uh, and it's it's a pretty steep climb back up, uh, you got to make sure you have enough water and you got enough strength to get up there, um, because there are some people that think they can beat it, um, no matter how far they go, and they pay for it uh, when we were so this. This was probably day, this was like Thursday of our trip. So like day seven, a couple days into the Grand Canyon. And, uh, we heard that two people died in the Canyon and, uh, from heat exhaustion. One guy was an ultra marathon runner. Can you, uh, so we assumed that he ran through the Grand Canyon because we did see some people running up and down the trails, uh, which really is kind of scary. Um, especially if you're not used to it, if you're afraid of heights, that's the other thing, folks, if you're afraid of heights, you kind of got to get over that. If you want to see the Grand Canyon because when you hike down these trails, especially when you're walking back up, on your right side, it's a giant big hole. There's no railing. There there's nothing really to protect you. There might be some rocks that are at your ankle level, and there might be some some bushes, but if you make one wrong step, you could be tipping over. So you really got to be careful with that. Um and these people are just running down up up and down the trail. It's like and and I mean, there's rocks, you know, the, the, it's, it's not a paved road, you know, it's, it's, it's not, there's not stop signs and, and like it's, it's, it's a trail, it's the, it's, it's fairly steep and there's rocks and, um, it's, it could be easier to trip over, especially if you're running. I would never run down that thing. No way. No, no way. No, thank you. Um, so yeah. Um, and in that day when we heard those two people died, we heard that it was 136 degrees down in the Canyon, 136 degrees. That's very hot. Now we actually stayed in Phoenix for less than 24 hours. It was just an airport uh, hotel in Phoenix because our the the uh, where our flight left was in Phoenix, and we uh, it was 116 degrees, 116 degrees, and it got to a low what 103 at like 9 p.m. Like it just doesn't get cold there. Like it, it, oh man, it felt like just getting out was just like a sauna really was <laughs> when um on the highway I didn't put my window down all that far but I could I put it down a couple inches just to feel it it feels like a space heater I mean I like I can't imagine putting your window all the way down like I, I don't think you would get any cooler I think you get warmer actually um but it was a lot of fun again would highly recommend if you have never been there to go back there but uh that would be third on my list in terms of places I've already been to uh, Sedona, Arizona was fantastic. That I would go back to, like today. Uh, a lot of great rock formations there, and it was it was just really cool. Um, hotel, you could see the rock formations. It's the hiking there. I think it's because there it's it's the hiking. It, it, I think it's it's a little bit better. It's it's not as steep. Um, certainly, it's it's probably hotter there. It felt because like, we didn't go down deep in the canyon, obviously. Um, but Sedona was was very cool as well. Uh, so let's head back to Major League Baseball as the Dodgers, they designated Carl Crawford for assignments, and Crawford will still be owed $25 million. Uh, so he may never play another inning for another team again, but since he signed a nice seven year, $142 million contract with the Boston Red Sox a couple of years ago, um, the Dodgers still own that money. Because when he was traded along with Nick Punto, Josh Beckett, and Adrian Gonzalez over to the Dodgers, the Dodgers took all that money with them. So they have a lot of money given to a player that will be on a different team, or will be sitting at home, um, or could be in Triple I uh, I don't see anyone trading for this guy because who's gonna who's gonna trade uh, for a guy that's in 180 and has 25 million dollars attached to him. Don't see that happening too much. And that just adds to the number of players that the, the Dodgers owe money to that aren't on their team anymore. Um, really is is crazy that they owe that much money. Um, the James Shields, he was dealt from the San Diego Padres to the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Shields signed with the Padres in the 2015 offseason, and that really uh, finalized, captivated a what seemed to be a winner's offseason. I mean, when you... I'm sure during that off season, the Padres were a winner going into the 2015 season because they signed Shields, who was coming off a fantastic year with the Kansas City Royals when they uh, fell in Game Seven, obviously in the World Series. Um, they acquired Derek Norris, the catcher from the Oakland A's. They acquire Will Myers. They acquire Justin Upton, and it seems like they have a formidable team, right? I mean, the Padres are on the map. Obviously, never panned out, um, and they're still at the bottom, the bottom of the of the national league West. They also got Craig Kimbrough before that season started and just, no, just never worked out. Um, and last but not least, Ardon and Ventura, Manny Machado fiasco as, uh, if for those of you that have not seen it, basically long story short, uh, obviously these two players are, they're hotheads, especially Ventura. That's well-documented for, for the right-hander for the Royals, but Machado, let's not forget. He's also had his moments where he's chirped at, at players. Um, and coming into this game, there was there was no past known relationship with these two players to slate each other. Um, Machado had an RBI double back, back in the first inning. In his uh, second at bat, Ventura threw two inside fastballs. On the second one, Machado gave a nice stare down. And then um, on the third pitch, Machado flew out to left field. It looked like it was gone off the bat, but the wind severely took it in. Like big time, like probably took a home run away. And Machado and Ventura said a couple of words on on his way to first base, and then in the next at bat, as you can imagine, um, Ventura plunked him, and that's when the bench is cleared and whatnot. So, and I'm not going to dive into who was right, who was wrong here. Baseball protocol to hit him. Um, what I'm just saying basically is, it seems like now in days is that rivalries are just pretty much solely built on. On uh on fights on brawls, you know it's Red Sox Yankees does not feel the same. Why? Because when one team's in the first place, the other's in the last place. Uh, the Celtics and Lakers they're not really a rivalry anymore. The Knicks Pacers certainly not a rivalry anymore. Uh, can you name me like how many big time rivalries are there are are here nowadays? I think in college there's a lot more rivalries in the pros, and that goes for college football, college basketball. And then the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA. The NBA, you have superstar versus superstar. It's LeBron James versus Kevin Durant. It's Steph Curry versus John Wall. It's Carmelo Anthony versus Paul George. It's things like that. It's not necessarily about the teams. It's about the players versus the players. I mean, the NFL, I mean, to a, I mean, it's a lot of divisional rivalries. Those those some would feel like But just to me, it just seems like that nowadays people can – People, can, so many people did not watch this game, right? Because especially for baseball, it's a local game. I mean, it was only on in the Baltimore area. It was only on the Kansas City area. It was not a national televised game, right? So, no one is really not the entire country is not watching this game from start to finish. I mean, you'll get your diehard fans, right? That will watch every single game from from beginning to end. You know, every quarter, every period, every inning. That that's going to happen. But I'm talking about the adri- the average casual fan, where they see. Now, of mine, a gif, a video of this brawl happening. You know, I mean, how many Rogan Odor fans are out there now? How many people have heard of Odor a month ago? I know I heard of him. I mean, I have, because I'm obviously heavily interested in baseball. But how many average fans heard of Rogan Odor? And how many of those fans could even say, maybe even, who, who did he punch? And second of all... Who won that game? The Rangers did win that game. Same thing here. You know, could could you even tell you who? Could you even tell me who won the the Orioles, uh, Royals game? My point is, it's almost like now in social media, is that since we don't have to watch an entire game to understand a game, that it's like a fight or a commo- or some controversy is what makes a rivalry. It's honestly about uh, how great games are which I think is sad. Now obviously I'm not saying that there was never obviously fights help rivalries. It always has. I mean, I'm not saying it's not, but it just seems like that's what really really at the at its core now, it's GIFs and videos and and vines that really help make this rivalry. Blue Jays Rangers is rivalry because of the bat flip. Not because of it happening necessarily live, but because people can just loop it and loop it and loop it and see the bat being thrown and thrown and thrown. Or now the punch. The punch to Batista right right in the cheekbone. Or now the brawl between Machado and Ventura. And It's sad. I mean, it, it kind of is because it, it doesn't feel the same. You know, because there's there, people can watch so many other things. I mean, even even for even if the Red Sox games on you can flip to a billion other channels you can watch things on YouTube i mean it, fans do not watch games like they used to when there was a couple of channels on on the TV when there's only three or four channels there's nothing else to do so of course you watch the game from the first inning to the ninth inning now there's so many other options where you can take a few innings off and come back i mean Red Sox Inc. does not feel like a rivalry if it feels like a rivalry to you i, I don't like tell me because let 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 me let me feel like it's a rivalry. The only rivalry that I actually feel between my teams is UConn basketball versus Cincinnati. That's the only thing that I got. It really is. <sighs> Saw a couple of Cincinnati Bearcats fans in in uh, Arizona, and I said go Huskies to one guy, but he didn't hear me. But I was going to ask him what what hurts more, Ryan Boatwright or Jalen Adams. Jalen Adams, that was some shot. That's gonna do it for today's podcast. Thank you for listening. All, all uh, half hour longer, so just a shorter podcast. Just myself, as my voice starting a little bit hoarse. Um, I'll be doing a podcast probably on Tuesday, whether Sam is on it or not. Um, to 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 keep up with the NBA Finals and whatnot. Uh, the NBA, the MLB draft is today. For those of you that that care about that, um, so we'll see who the Red Sox and the Yankees and the, and the Mets get in the draft. Uh, game four, once again, is going to be tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, or excuse me, 9 o'clock on ABC. Um, and that's going to do it for today's podcast. So thank you for listening. Make sure you uh, subscribe to the Sports Brothers podcast, to the Think Tank, to the Nico show, and what's the last one that Nico does? Why is this a thing? Uh, all great podcasts from the Nico Empire. Uh, but for now, folks, have a great rest of your day.